Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining and tuning in today. I'm so glad that you have. We are live today in Madison, Wisconsin at Door Creek Church. And boy, are we glad we are. There we go. My power panel today is Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. And I'm expecting a little more out of you an hour or two. I'm just saying. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So thank you very much for sending in the great questions, and we'd love to hear from you, 877-933-2484. It's really great uh, to get all these great questions. And I've got to start with uh, one. I've already lost it. I got so busy during the break meeting all these fine people. Um, Maybe if you upped the door prizes, we'd uh, (laughs) step up our game, maybe. Yeah. um, As you look for the next question. Yeah. Yeah. We're ordering pizza. We're ordering pizza. (laughs) See, I like a live audience. <laughs> I do too. All right, here it is. Uh, throughout the Bible, it talks about your prayers being hindered if you're living a sinful life. How is that our Lord hears the sinner's prayer? How well, is our Lord hearing the sinner's prayer if we're in a, in a sinning state well, of sin? Sure. Well, a sinner who doesn't know Jesus and comes in repentance, he's eager to hear that prayer. And he is ready to receive that person in the kingdom of God. When believers know the Lord but continue to sin, you know, not only does it hurt the Lord, quite honestly, it makes me, it makes it harder for me to hear him about a situation or about my attitude or about what I'm going to do. So I think a lot of it goes back to what situation are you in with Jesus? If you don't know him, I'm thrilled when people get on their knees and confess their sins and ask him in their life. But for believers, we confess. And I tell this every Sunday because, you know, Lutherans, they have a little liturgy, whether we want it or not, and they're going to stay, you know, the words of institution and all that. That's good. I'm for that. But we do confession. Well, for a believer, you're not confessing to get saved. You're confessing because you are saved. And you're confessing now to be more like Jesus. So if I have an attitude of, of resentment towards somebody or anger towards somebody, how do I represent Jesus in life? Not very well. But I'm a believer, and I'm going to heaven. Well, the point is, yeah, I'm still going to heaven, but I'm not a very good disciple. So the disciples repent to be more like the Lord. The unbeliever repents in order to get saved. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're going to handle a, a difficult passage or you're struggling with it, remember, it's, you're, you can't end up concluding something that contradicts a kind of a fundamental truth of God, right? Does God know all things? Does he know the end from the beginning? Does he know every hair on your head? Does he know when a bird falls from the sky? And the answer is, of course he does. He knows the desire of our hearts. Before we even speak our prayers, he knows what we're going to pray. So, of course, he knows and hears everything. So I I think what that passage is saying, that an unbeliever, you know, it says in Scripture, a fool says in their heart, there is no God. Mm -hmm. It's not that he doesn't hear his prayer or know his thoughts or doesn't know is that he's separated from God. And of course, as Tom was just saying, he will always hear that prayer 
of I'm a sinner, I believe in you, I trust in you for my salvation. Thank you for that, Jeff. All right, would you share a favorite scripture reference and a word as to why? Well, I'll start. I've got, I think my favorite passage, um, I know everybody has life verses and stuff. I always say I don't have a life verse, but then I keep coming back to this passage, and that's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And it says, do not be anxious about anything, but basically pray about everything with thanksgiving, and then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It's my don't worry, be happy verse. I like Bill, uh, Bob Marley, uh, was it Bob Marley saying the don't worry? No, uh, Bobby McFerrin saying don't worry, be happy. You know, he was a Christian guy. He was a I can't help but think he had this verse in mind when he wrote that song, don't worry, be happy. But God says to cast our cares upon him and to do not be anxious about anything. I think worry is the opposite of trusting. And I'm called, according to the Bible, to trust in him. So this verse repeats in my mind often when I begin to not trust, but more worry. I love that. For Jan and I, it's interesting. When uh, I was confirmed at age 14 in a big Lutheran church, the pastor gave everybody a scripture verse. You know, And so there in front of all the people, he'd say, Tom Parrish, this is the scripture verse from the Lord for you. And it was John 15, 16. For you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I did not know Jan then. Had nothing to do with her. She lived across town. She is a year younger than me. Next year, she's confirmed. Her pastor did not know my pastor. There were 50 in my class, 30 in hers. You know what scripture verse he gave her? The exact same verse. And so what we realize is that that verse is telling us that it's not what we want in this life. We're not here to accumulate for ourselves. We are here to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to make him as known to everybody as we can while we have time because time is short. And so that's why we have dedicated our life together to this. And quite honestly, uh, we've been in this together all these years for that very singular purpose. That's a really cool story. It's fun. Yeah, I'm very thankful. So when you come across a verse, I'm I'm looking at our our lovely uh, studio live audience right now. When you come across a verse that's hard to understand, do you just kind of brush it aside or do you say, I'm going to figure this one out? Uh, What is your tendency? Because I know for me it's, Half the time, it's like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to get this one. The other time, I'm going, to, I'm going to figure this one out. Like, here's a verse I love. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 11. If a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. <laughs> oh, boy. That's the story of my job here at, the, at makes, Faith Radio. Makes sense to me, Bill. <laughs> yeah. So when you come across a, a challenging verse, is it your inclination to say, I will, I'm going to get to the bottom of this and find this out and put it in context and understand it, or do you go, eh, I don't know about this one? I just shoot a question to Guy Talk. Oh, good. And the comment was, I shoot a question to Guy Talk. That's that's the right answer. So I once took... I think I'm going to give you the house plan. (laughs) (laughs) I once took a class years ago as a a precept ministry class. It was entitled, How to Handle Difficult Passages. And it was actually the passage from John 15, which is one of my favorite to talk about, about the vine and the branches. And in John 15, it says this, he cuts off every branch in him that bears no fruit. Well, 
the, the, the class was a three-day class, actually. So you, you look at the context of the passage, you look at the context of the chapter, and of the whole letter, and then, of course, the whole New Testament and the rest of the Bible, really. And in context, you begin to see that John had just spent 14 chapters telling you that if you believe, you have eternal life. If you believe, you will have eternal life. And so you get to John 15, and now he's saying that if you don't bear fruit, he's going to cut you off? Well, that doesn't make sense. So what's going on? I'm a figure-it-out kind of guy. So Mm -hmm. if you come across a difficult passage, one, start looking at other passages that are related, that are in the same theme. And two, sometimes it helps to go to the Greek. Today... Today, you can go to the Greek very easily. We have tools. 20 years ago, you'd have to look it up in the books and get a number and go to another book, get the Greek word, and so on and so forth. We go look at the Greek word for cuts off. It's the Greek word auro, A-I-R-O. And it really means to lift up. He lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit. I think that's a better English translation because John doesn't spend 14 chapters saying you believe and have eternal life and then say, but if you don't have enough fruit, he's going to cut you off. He's saying, if you don't have enough fruit, he's going to lift you up and prune you so that you might bear fruit for him. Amen? And if there's gardeners here, you know what it's like to prune something. You get very intimate with the bush, don't you? And when you're done pruning it, it it doesn't necessarily look very attractive. It looks maybe the ugliest it's looked, but you know what's coming, right? I just want to assure everybody, when I was in seminary, if I had a verse like this and I had to go figure it out, I would spend all afternoon at the library. And I'd go pull all these books off the shelf, and I'd go and I'd look through, and it's hard to find stuff, but you'd find it eventually. You now, as believers, can do in five minutes what took me an entire week of study, because on the internet you have over a hundred different translations of the Bible. You have uh, Greek and Hebrew already defined for you. You don't have to know Greek or Hebrew like you know I had to do when I went through seminary. The resources are there, and if you just take a little bit of time, and even that verse you just quoted, go look it up on the internet. Go look it up like. Bible Gateway, uh, Blue Line Bible is a new one out that's tremendous. There are so many others. Within five minutes, you can get the context, you can get the meaning of the word, you can get the derivations of the word, how it can be used, and you can see how that might apply to your situation today. And I think it's absolutely wonderful, and uh, uh, I do a lot of that now, because I, I'm, I'm not spending five, six hours at the, the library, I'm on the internet. Unfortunately, I'm up till one or two in the morning, but that's a different story. <laughs> All right, my next question is for Jeff Verdorn. I have listened to your Revelation series and found it fascinating. Why does it seem that so many Christians are hesitant to study this particular book of the Bible? Big question. You know, when I first started studying the end times and putting the pieces of prophecy together, because there is not one place in Scripture that that really has all the details of God's plan for the end of the age. The book of Revelation has a lot of the details that happens within the seven years, but there's other parts of Scripture that you have to bring it all together to put the pieces of the puzzle together in order to paint a comprehensive picture of God's plan for the end of the age. Um, when I first started studying God's plan, uh, the left, you guys remember the Left Behind series? 
there was a lot of interest in the in the church because that's that series sold millions of copies and there seemed to be a lot of interest about the end times and today not so much there doesn't seem to be a lot of pastors that are bringing it up i think there's a couple of, i think the internet actually has a lot to do with it yeah. i think there's so many opinions so many diverse opinions there's so much controversy there's so much confusion and the average pastor says, you know what, let's just kind of avoid that because it's a lot of work, too, to study God's plan for the end of the age. And it's controversial. If I start a series, I'm going to start getting all kinds of emails, and I'm just going to maybe avoid that, right? Um, so I think that's a, a big part of it. And I've seen it decline over the 20 years I've been teaching the end times. I love to teach on the end times because I think when we live with the end in mind, it helps us to live more by faith right now. Mm-hmm. We study a time when we don't need faith. Do you need faith in eternity? Do you need hope in eternity? Who hopes for what he already has, Paul says, right? So we study the time when we won't need faith and we won't need hope to grow our faith and our hope right now, today, living with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that Jeff is a phenomenal Bible teacher. And I say that sincerely because I'm a Bible teacher and I'm jealous. But he's very good. Can they get your study? Is there any? Yeah, way to go? it's on on YouTube. Okay. The End Times class is on YouTube. All right, that's good stuff. And I fully believe in that. Here's the problem for most Christians, though. So you understand all the details of the Second Coming. How does that change how you live now? That's the key, and that's what you're talking about. You need an eternal perspective because I, I've told Jeff this many times. I am weary of the fact that we can have an end times conference in the Twin Cities and five and 6,000 people will show up. But do you have a discipleship series on how to make disciples and bring people to faith? You're lucky to get 50 people. What is Jesus' command to us? Go and make disciples. And yet I think it is, it's not that it's not important. My dad was a home builder. I grew up building homes from second grade. He picked me up after school. I had to nail down floors. You've always got to begin with the foundation. Then you've got to add the subfloor. Then you've got to add the sides. And then you add the roof. And I mean, there's a process involved. Study the end times. But don't study it to the point of not studying what it means to be a disciple maker or what it means to go out and to reach people that don't know the Lord or how to listen to your neighbor and talk to them. I found out that if you're willing to, you know, I believe this with all my heart, if you're willing to listen to your neighbor and understand what I call the process of active listening, and I teach that in my church, it's really how to reflect back both the feeling and the content. Within five minutes, I have people telling me their spiritual needs, and I'm at Walmart, and they're on the other line. And I'm not kidding you. Am I kidding, Jan? No. Why? Because I'm special? No. No. But the Lord has shown me that if I pay attention to people, they have a spiritual need, and they will bring it up if you give them the room to do it. And then what do you do with them when they say, I have a spiritual need? Well, good luck and God bless you, you know? I'm waiting for the end to come. No, Jeff wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Then you can share the message of the gospel. You know, that's such a great point because any study that we do, whether it be the end times or the character of God or who we are in Christ, should drive us to want yeah. to share what we learn about God and disciple other peoples to teach them about Amen. what we've got. The, the, the end specifically, I love this uh, verse in 1 John 3, 3, it says, and everyone who has this hope, and really that's the study of our hope. You, you use the word hope like three times in what you just said. In, who, who, this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. When we have a hope in Christ coming again, it has an effect right now, and that's yep. what Tom was just describing. Yep. 
All right, we're going to take a little break, but frankly, I'm tired of doing all the hard work here, so why don't you, <laughs> why don't you guys help us go to break? This is, you are listening to Guy Talk with Bill Arnold. We're heading to break now. If you have your questions, send them in to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. never forget, Bill Arnold is the best host in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't ask ask for that, but I'll take it. I'll be right back. Hi there and welcome. If you are a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome packet gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. Yeah, good. Cheryl, thank you for eating that cake. (laughs) Careful, Tom. We're on mic. (laughs) Sorry. We're back. It's Guy Talker, guys who talk live today from Madison, Wisconsin. We are having such a great uh, time here at Door Creek Church, and this particular church location is on what road again? Yeah, Dominion. Yeah, Dominion. There are a couple campuses here. Uh, it's a beautiful facility, and if you don't have a place to worship here in the Madison area, I'd say get here. Uh, services on Sunday and multiple services. You can be, be very welcome here as we feel very welcome here. So thank you for that. All right, here's a question, gentlemen. What would you say to someone who, when asked to give their testimony, cannot pinpoint a born-again moment? They were raised in a Christian home and have known Jesus their whole life. They feel they have been on a long life progression of growing closer to Jesus. Do you have a date, Tom? A date? A born-again date? I don't remember. I don't don't either. So I, I grew up in a Christian home. I don't have a specific time or date. No. And I've heard people say, if you don't know the exact date, then they are going to question your salvation somehow. I, nonsense. That's, that's, I don't have a specific date, probably because I was too young to remember it. Um, look, do you know that you are saved today? That is a, that is, you should ask yourself that question. If you don't know that you know that you know, and, and I'm not talking about some doubts that like you're talking about assurance of salvation, but I think we can know that we know or not. And that's why Paul says, examine yourself, right. right? Examine yourself. Are you saved or not? So regardless of whether or not you know the specific day or not, uh, by the way, you, how many of you have ever heard a testimony that is just like, wow, that's just an amazing testimony. You know, the guy was on Skid Row and, you know, he murdered 12 people and he's got tattoos all over his body and suddenly he finds Christ and you go, oh man, I wish I had a testimony like that. And it's like, you do? You want a testimony like that? I don't want a testimony like that. But never forget, every salvation is a miracle to heaven. Amen? It is. And when you think about it for a moment, the point in thing is this. I have become a pretty fanatical student of the Bible. I only want to preach and teach what it says, not what I'd like it to say, or not what my historical Lutheran background has taught me to say, or what any other tradition says. What does it actually say? And that's always my goal. Do I do it all the time? I wish I did. I'm not perfect, but I try. Here's the bottom line. You will find nowhere in Scripture where Jesus or the New Testament or Paul asks you, can you identify the day you were born again? But what Paul does say that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I think that's what we want to focus on. And so when people come up to me and they go, I don't know if I'm really saved or not, 
I asked them, tell me, can you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior? And will you do that publicly right now in front of these people? Hmm. And I've had people back away. Well, I know they've got a problem, but I've had other people who say, well, yes, I can, because I really believe it. From our human point of view, only the Lord knows the heart of that person. But that's the best human response we can get out of somebody. By the way, if you know the date, great. Yeah, wonderful. That's wonderful. You know your spiritual birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, and I've told Bill this, I worked with a lot of demonic. I've had a lot of people come to me with demonic issues over the years. And, and it's, uh, it's just more real. Matter of fact, the Twin Cities has 22,000 self-identified witches. I mean, and Jen and I know they've been after us. We've had our time with the witches, believe me. We've hid people. They came out of witchcraft, and they were after us as a result. But here's the bottom line. When I had people come to me, and I had two women come to me, and one woman said, my friend here has, hears these voices all the time. She had been asleep for five years whatever, and I asked some questions, and the, the gal who had the problem never really talked, and they said they went to church, and I finally said to her, all right, you, you claim you go to church, right? She shook her head. I said, will you confess aloud with me that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and the only way of salvation? The moment I said that, her face changed dramatically, and she started swearing at me and swearing with the name of Jesus, and I had to take authority there, and it's a long story, but the bottom line is she was eventually rescued from the demonic. The point is, if you can honestly confess publicly that Jesus is Lord and Savior, I'm welcoming you into the kingdom of God from my human perspective. Because Satan won't do that. Or wow. the demons. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. How, would you, uh, how do you identify your purpose? And how do you hear God's voice? I don't think I ever have and would like to. And what does God's voice sound like? Well, 99% of the time it sounds like you. I'm dead serious. It sounds like other Christians who will come up and say, you know, Tom, I appreciate your faith. I appreciate the way you help these kids because you love Jesus. That's the majority. Now, people do, some people do hear voices. You know, I've heard a voice, all right? I don't prescribe that for anybody. Why? Because I couldn't control it in the first place. It just simply happened. But it's not what has to happen. What has to happen is that you are convicted in your heart of who Jesus is, and your purpose then is already defined in the Bible. I was so impressed. My wife pointed out, look at the billboard over there. Individually, God made us unique and with a special purpose. Yeah, you have a special purpose. You are the ministers of reconciliation and the ambassadors of the gospel. And I tell people, I had doctors that I work with, and they'll say, well, I'm a doctor. And I'll say, be the best doctor you can. Save as many people as you can. But your real pulpit you know, is, is certainly your work, but it's out of that work. You get to tell people about Jesus because you're his ambassador. And it's fun now to see doctors who actually talk to patients and pray with them when they come to their office. It's fascinating. I think Christians spend a lot of time asking these questions about what's God's will for my life? What's his purpose for my life? And I think generally it has to do with like, you know, what job should I take? What city should I live in? Who should I marry? And things like that. I don't know if those are specifically in God's will or not. I mean, he, he has a desire. He wants you to be happy. He, wants, he has a, a plan for your life, if you will. But, but I think he gives us freedom in all those areas. If you want to know God's will for your life, read Scripture. He says, like we've talked about, be salt and light in this world. Make disciples. Preach the gospel. Love one another. Encourage one another. Bear each other's burdens. This is God's will and his purpose for your life. Whether you're a plumber or a lawyer or a doctor, whatever, 
God wants you to be holy as he is holy. Yeah. Be the saint. Live out your calling, Ephesians 4.1 says, right? And, and, and in terms of God speaking, um, you're right. Not, not everybody has heard an audible word from God. No. But every single born-again believer has the spirit of God yeah. within them. So, uh, you know, this is another common question that I get in my classes. How does God speak to us? Does he still speak to us today? And it's like, really? You don't think God speaks to his people today? He's given us his word. That speaks to us. He's given us other believers and the counsel of, of other believers that speak to us. And like we just talked about, we have the spirit of God within us. And that still, small voice, if you're not hearing from God, you're probably not listening. Speak, God. Remember Samuel? Samuel. And speak, Lord. I'm listening. Just yep. tell God you're listening. And that's why Jan, the Lord put Jan in my life. Because after we dated for a while, she said, marry me or be forever lost. <laughs> and I thought, this makes sense. Why not? I'm sorry, honey. Can I write it? Can I go home with you? No, I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> All right, here's a question, gentlemen. What is repentance, and how do you do it? Ooh, I love that one. Do you want to tackle that, Jeff, or I'll you start. To it? Repentance is often not what we think of. We often think of repentance as saying, I'm sorry, I'll try not to do that again, Lord. You know, please forgive me. But repentance, biblically, the, the Greek word means an exchange of minds with Jesus. It means that if you're lusting after someone and you come and repent, you're not just saying, I hope I don't do it again, Lord, and you know, I, I, forgive me. It's saying, I want to exchange my mind of thinking how you look at that young woman and the way I look at it. I want to exchange that with you. Or if I'm greedy and I want what you know, uh, somebody else has, it's the same process. And I think most of us have not been taught that. I was not taught that. But as I began to look at the original language in the Greek, it means an exchange of mind. You're taking on the mind of Jesus rather than taking on your own mind. And, you know, conversion means turning around. But repentance really means a new mind. And so that's what we do. So when I repent, which I do often, I'll say, Jesus, I'm not thinking like you. I need your mind toward that person. I need your mind toward my anger or whatever it is. Give it to me. Take mine away. And I lay it at your feet. That's a really good way to think about it. Give me your mind to think about that. Um, just to, to add on to that, I like to call repentance, which is a change of mind, as we just talked about, uh, for salvation. In other words, you're turning sure. from the world to God. I like to call that capital R repentance. Yeah. That is the repentance that is a salvation repentance, right? You're, you're fixed on the world. You turn to God. You've repented. You've believed in him and we're saved. Yep. Now, we as believers, repentance doesn't stop. We're still called to turn from this world and turn to him. So do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. We can still, we can be saved. We can be born again and still have our mind on the ways of this world. And God says, no, turn your mind. Keep turning your mind from those things. And I call the believer's repentance, small r, if you will, repentance. So I make that distinction because I think this word repentance gets confused often when is, is that a repentance unto salvation or under holy living? And the answer is it's both. You do capital R repentance once for salvation. You do the small r repentance the rest of your life. Right. Mm. 
This is just a live audience question. How many have apologized to somebody in the last couple of weeks? How many have had to say, I'm sorry and apologize? All right, that's, that's awesome. As hopefully, as believers, we want to be quick to apologize, right? Yeah, that's awesome. All right, we'll take a little break. You're listening to Guide Talk, and not just your normal version of Guide Talk. This is Guide Talk Live in Madison, Wisconsin at Door Creek Church. And we're so uh, glad, and we appreciate so much the hospitality that's being shown to us. It is awesome. Thank you for the ottoman where I can put my feet up. I can't do that in the studio at, <laughs> at Faith Radio, so I feel very spoiled here. We'll take a short break and be right back. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Thank you for tuning in today. We are in Madison, Wisconsin, doing Guide Talk Live, and I'm so happy that we've had so much hospitality. Just got a nice message from uh, Jenny who said, I hope you're getting some cheese curds. So that's about as thoughtful as you can be. So thank you very much for that, uh, Jenny. All right, here's a question, gentlemen. I, I'm here with Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. And Adam was 130 years old when he fathered a son in his likeness and named him Seth. Do you find it interesting that the Bible speaks little of Adam? He, he was the, the progenitor of the human race. Well, the Bible does talk about Adam in Romans, where Paul talks about Jesus being the second Adam. So you have the first Adam that came into the world, and Adam and Eve did not obey the Lord, and we know the problems they got into. Uh, same problems we get into all the time. But Jesus becomes the second Adam in that he is restoring paradise. And by faith in him, we have already been transferred. Matter of fact, Jesus says, the moment you believe in me, you've already passed from life, from death to life. It's an instantaneous reality. And so I know with the many people I've been with at the moment of death, and I've been privileged to be there with a lot of people and hold their hand, so many Christians have told me they did not know one another. They weren't in the same church. These are different churches. They will tell me, Jesus is here. And I'll say, what's he saying to you? Welcome. What else are you saying? Soon, very soon. And I have literally had them die in my arms, and those were the last words they said. And I've seen that over and over and over. Don't have the time, but I can tell you about unbelievers that refuse Jesus on their deathbed. That's a different story. That's a different time. You know, it's interesting that let's focus on the second man, Adam. Uh, I'm sorry, Jesus being the second Adam. It's it, the son of man title is a very interesting title. And I think too many Christians think of it as Jesus being an offspring, if you will, as in the son of God, like it's some kind of reproduction thing going on. What Son of God, Son of Man, remember these are the two most common titles for Jesus. What Son of God means is brought forth by God. So if you look at, for example, the genealogy, it's, it's you know, so-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so son of so-and-so son of so-and-so back to Adam. Adam, son of God. Why is Adam a son of God? Because God made Adam from the dust of the ground. Jesus is called the Son of God because God didn't make Jesus. He made the body of Jesus, the incarnation body of Jesus, in the womb of the Virgin, Son of God. 
By the way, there's two more entities in Scripture that are called sons of God. One is angels. Angels are called sons of God. Who made the angels? God made the angels. It came from a direct creative act of God. He made angels. Who's the last group that are called sons of God or children of God? Us. Not in our natural self. We're not children of God. This is one of the big lies of the world, that we're all God's children, right? No, he gives us the right to be called children of God. We are children of God or sons of God when he makes us new. We become the product of a direct creative act of God and therefore given the right to be called sons of God. Cool. That's great. All right, gentlemen, where was Jesus for three days between his death and his resurrection? We did that one. We did that oh, one. Oh, sorry. That's for that one. <laughs> Same place. Sorry. Same place. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. We're um, in Madison, Wisconsin. I know, I know. <laughs> I know. You know, I, I didn't mark that card. I didn't put it here. Oh. Instead, I kept it in the live pile. So if it's in the live pile, I'm going to ask it. You know? All right, why did the godly kings in the Bible have such ungodly sons who were kings? <laughs> why? Yeah. Well, first of all, power is a dangerous thing. And you have power if you don't understand it in humility, like David did. That's why David was a man after God's own heart. Not that he wasn't a scoundrel, and he did very wrong things, but he knew he was honest about himself. And he came back and repented. Too many people when they get power think that it all revolves around them. And then if you live with somebody who thinks they're the most powerful person in the world, and I've had lots of people say my dad thought he was that or my mom thought him, thought that either they become the most beleaguered kids on the earth or they become themselves the most powerful. The bottom line is, for all of us, the real power has nothing to do with who we are. It has everything to do with Jesus. And the kings oftentimes did not follow the Lord. And we read things in the Old Testament that I could pull my hair out over. I mean, generations went by and they didn't honor Yahweh. And uh, it's incredible how that happened. So that's why God says to Israel, teach these things to your children, talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. In Ephesians, God tells us to bring up your children in training and instruction of the Lord. I have a feeling that when you have the, the, the next generation not following the Lord, it's because we didn't do this enough. All right, thank you. My next question is, why did the godly kings in the Bible have such ungodly sons who were kings? <laughs> I had to do that to myself. You know, it's I, okay. I just owed it to myself to, to do that. <laughs> All right, here's an Old Testament question. Can you explain why animal sacrifice had to be part of the Abrahamic covenant? You know, this is an interesting question. I've often thought about why, why, why did God demand the, a sacrifice of an animal? And, you know, every time I look at this, I come, only come to this one verse where it says, the life is in the blood, the blood and there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Uh, so that's where we go. And and. Why is that? Well, that's a, that's a very difficult question about why God 
has the blood, but I, I just think it goes back to this idea that the life is in the blood. The picture, of course, the important part of this, is that all of that sacrificial system, all of the feasts and the festivals, everything in the temple and the tabernacle of God points to who? The person of Jesus Christ, who was the one sacrifice, who sacrificed for all sins, once for all, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And if you look at the Old Testament in depth, every other culture had animal sacrifice, not animal sacrifice, excuse me, they did do some of that. They had child sacrifice. Child sacrifice, Molech and the others, very common. And what breaks my heart when you read the scriptures at the end of Chronicles, the last thing we read about Solomon, King Solomon, wisest guy in the world, right? He was building temples to his foreign wives. The god of Molech was one he was building in Jerusalem. All they did was sacrifice children there. So every other culture sacrificed children, and that still goes on around the world. That isn't over with yet. I hate to say it. We grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and Toledo at that time was the largest satanic capital in the world. And the police are still digging up whole acres of ground and finding bodies of children that died 30, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, I mean, it's horrible. So the Lord says, uh-uh, you don't have to sacrifice your child. I finished that with Abraham. He was ready to offer Isaac, but I said, no, I'll provide the ram. And from that point on, it became the animal and ultimately became the lamb of God, Jesus. How long did animal sacrifices continue after Jesus rose from the dead? I'm sure a lot of people said, well, we're not done doing this. Well, in Israel, oh, go ahead, Jeff. Uh, well, I was just going to say, uh, not long, remember, the temple was destroyed in Israel in 70 AD when the Roman general Titus came and sieged the city because of a rebellion of Israel. And they ended up destroying the city. By the way, fulfilling the very specific prophecy of Jesus that he said, see all this, these buildings here? Not one stone will be left upon another. And in 70 AD, not one stone was left upon another, fulfilling Jesus' prophecy precisely. So Israel has not been sacrificing because they haven't had a temple to do it in. Although that has continued around the world. And they just uh, archaeologists just uncovered that the Aztecs, built a temple, I think it was 1471, down in South America. And in four days, they sacrificed 84,000 people to the gods. Now, that was only 500 years ago. Well, this is still, there are still parts in the world today you can go to, and that goes on. Blah. All right. My next question, and hopefully I've not asked this one yet. <laughs> <laughs> how, did G, how did pre-Jesus population get to heaven? I mean, before the cross. Yes. Oh. By faith. Yeah. So we have, we have a wonderful verse in Genesis that describes Abraham's salvation, basically. And by the way, Paul repeats this in, in Romans. I think it's in Romans 4, where he says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he believed God. By faith, we are saved. You are saved by faith before the cross. You are saved by faith after the cross. Now, when God gave the law to Israel, it wasn't to impute righteousness to them. It was to set them apart by the external rules so that the nations may know that God is God, the God of Israel. Uh, we, in the same way, have been set apart uh, so that the world may know that he is the Lord. So they were set apart. We have been set apart but uh, it's by faith. It was by faith before the cross. It's by faith after the cross. And Hebrews 11 and 12 are the, are the faith verses. It talks about everybody in the Old Testament, by faith, they were made right with the Lord. And nothing has changed. And faith, I try to get this across to people. Because I have people say to me all the time, Pastor, 
if I only had more faith. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we did a sermon on that, and we actually passed out mustard seeds. Everybody in the congregation got a mustard seed. Do you know how little a mustard seed is? It is tiny. We had them dropped all over the floor. The point is, and Jesus' point is, if you have faith of a mustard seed, it's not the size of the faith. It's where you put the faith. And it's not in how much you believe. It's who you believe in. And when you put your faith in Jesus, even if it's the size of a mustard seed, that's all you need. That's all you need. And Jesus will do everything else. All right. This is Guy Talk Live today from Madison, Wisconsin. We're at Door Creek Church. And thank you for your questions. Send them over, 877-933-2484. I want to thank the lovely people here at Door Creek Church. And I also want to do a special thank you to Sid and Carol. We'll take a short break and be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. We're back with Guy Talk Live here today at Door Creek Church in Madison, Wisconsin. We'd love to come to your church or your neck of the woods, let me know. You can email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. We'd love to. This is fun, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You guys having a good time? I'm having a wonderful time. Uh, I don't know who's going to win the houseplant, but uh, (laughs) you guys are doing good. All right. Are there going to be a hierarchy in heaven? I mean, uh, John 14, 2 talks about there's many rooms. And are all those rooms equal or are they not equal? And are they mansions or are they rooms? Or will we have an ocean view or will we get... (laughs) Well, we get things that we have always hoped for, or am I just talking crazy right now? When I read through the promises of God about our inheritance, and he describes who we are in Christ and that inheritance that we have in Christ, I don't see any distinction made between different classes of Christian. We are all co-heirs with Christ. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And at the end of Revelation 21, it says... He who overcomes, and by the way, who is it that overcomes? Those Believers, all of us, right? Who is it that overcomes? First John 5, only he who believes that Jesus is the Christ. We are all overcomers in Christ Jesus. And it says, he who overcomes will inherit all this. It doesn't say, and then there's a first class, and then a you know coach class, and then a whatever. So I think we are all heirs, we all inherit, we... All will be raised to life, and those who are raised to life, it says, will rule with him for eternity. Good answer. All right. There's a popular meme with an image of Jesus that says something like, if Jesus was alive today, he'd be woke. (laughs) I know he was a rebel, but what would the panel say to this? I would say you're wrong. (laughs) Um, Don't don't sugarcoat it, Tom. Just give it to us. Sorry. Have you read the Bible? I think a mistake most pastors make is that we're way too concerned about keeping congregations happy and keeping the money flowing in. And I'll just be blunt about that. We need to be people that lovingly tell the truth. This Jesus, who we always want to envision as carrying the lamb and is so gentle, is also the fierce warrior of the universe. You don't want to mess with Jesus. 
and you don't want to meet him on the wrong side. And so to that person, I would I say to them, or if they say something like that, I'll say, show me where you see this in Scripture, and I will show you what I see in Scripture, and then we can talk about it afterward. And that's what we've, I've actually done that with people. You know, Abraham Lincoln famously said both read the same Bible, uh, speaking of the two sides that were involved in the Civil War, uh, both pray to the same God, each invokes his aid against the other. Yeah. It may seem strange that any man should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of the other man's face. But let us not judge that we too may be judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. Uh, Elsewhere he goes on to say, it's not whose side is he on, but whether or not we are on God's side. You know, there, there are arguments worth having. Uh, there are political debates that that are important. Um, you know, what is a man? What is a woman? What is marriage? Uh, these are simple questions in Scripture. I mean, we're we're debating some very silly things th- anymore in this country. It's it's amazes me. But God's purposes are so much bigger than politics. I mean, it, it's not that He is a Republican or a Democrat or whatever. His purposes for mankind is that you believe in him, the one that he has sent, and be saved and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is God's purposes. Thank you, Jeff. I love this question, and I think you're going to find this interesting. Why did God create animals, male and female, right away? But only Adam. (laughs) Go ahead, Jeff. Okay. I think I think the, the house plant depends on this answer. Yeah. <laughs> this is a longer answer. This goes to whether or not uh, the chronology of creation, which Genesis one describes, versus the sequence of things that are described in Genesis two, and my reconciliation of these things, because they're they're actually different in a way, especially when it comes to the creation of Eve. I think Genesis 1 is the narrative of the steps of creation. Genesis 2 is is more independent of the sequence of events and more a description of some of the things that happened. So the core question is, did God make Eve on the sixth day or sometimes later after that, right? So that's the core of the question. Um, And look, I don't know that it matters that much in this sense. God made them male and female. That's how he describes yes. it, right? Um, and he made the animals in the same way. So we, as people, have the power of procreation. God has designed us that we are able to reproduce ourselves, and he says, go fill the earth. And, uh, and so, I, look, I taught a whole class on Genesis, and we got into this in a very detailed discussion, and much more than we have time here. In the end, we know that he made Adam, he know that he made Eve. He, we know that they fell and that mankind became separated from God. That's the big truth that comes out of Genesis 1 through 3. Mm-hmm. All right, we just have a couple minutes left, and I think it would be wonderful to close in prayer. Uh, and Tom Parrish, I'm going to ask you to pray for every beautiful person here in this room and every beautiful person listening and, and this incredible hospitality we've had here at this church. I'm in agreement. At Door Creek Church in Madison, Wisconsin. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord Jesus, we are honored to be here. We thank you for this church, their openness to let us in, to provide technicians, to provide room, to provide opportunities. Thank you for the people that have come, Lord. 
they have busy lives, but here they are, Jesus, centered around your word, wanting to know you even better. Mm. Thank you for Bill's vision many years ago for this program. And this program continues and is reaching more and more people. Lord, it's not us, it's you. And we are thrilled at what's going on. Now, Lord, we ask that you continue to bless Guy Talk, this church, every person here, their children, their grandchildren, their extended family, so that every single person knows your love, Jesus, and is ready for your return. Use them effectively for the kingdom of God. Bless and watch over them. And Lord, answer their prayers to your honor and glory. And we thank you for them, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 All right, how about one more round of golf applause? Yeah. I, 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 I could do this every day, just so you know. I, I love, I love the, all the great questions, and, and I'm sorry. I still have a handful of questions that I have not gotten to. Trust me, these will go in the next uh, version of Guide Talk, and they will start the show. So all these questions that I still have left, I will get on the show. So if you can listen uh, the next time we meet, which is Thursdays, uh, 4 to 6 Central Time, that would be wonderful. And, uh, and so on behalf of uh, uh, Carissa, our station manager, and Amanda, who are here, and all the people that did an amazing job with the technical aspect of this, and then my, my guests, Tom Parrish and Jeff Doran, I would love for you to give them one more round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to thank all of my special friends who are here today. And, <laughs> and another thanks to Sid and Carol. Thank you so much for uh, listening to the show today. Thank you for being with us and supporting Faith Radio. I love you. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.